Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Strong for Everyday podcast with me, Fumi Olatoye. With Strong for Everyday, my mission is to empower mums to feel their best physically and mentally. And I felt myself that there was so much knowledge out there that I just didn't know. So many things I wish I had known before my pregnancy, during my pregnancy and post-pregnancy which is why I'm so passionate about talking to my women's health experts and other mums about their own journeys through pregnancy, through motherhood, as well as our women's health experts to talk to you about all things in relation to our bodies, our minds, everything that is so useful for us to make sure that we are the best mums that we can be. In this week's episode, I'm talking to Karen Grace Siribo. Karen works in global maternal and neonatal advocacy. I know, big words, but Karen will go into all the details as to what that means. We are talking about how women and their families can advocate for themselves during their pregnancy to make sure they get the best outcome from their pregnancy. We're also talking about the UK health system and how we can encourage advocacy as a concept and a method of practice. And she talks also specifically about, you know, the stats affecting black and brown women of being five times more likely to die from childbirth or pregnancy related um, complications. And this is obviously a huge topic at, at this time. And I'm really glad that we are able to talk about this in more detail and just to keep that conversation going to improve outcomes for black and brown women in childbirth and pregnancy. And with that, I just want to also talk to you about an event that Karen is going to be a panellist on. The event is taking place on 7th of November and the event is called BAME Birthing with Colour. And it's a one day conference highlighting the maternity issues facing the BAME communities. So I'll make sure to leave all the details in the show notes so that you can also attend this conference and find out more about improving outcomes for black and brown women during childbirth and pregnancy. I really love this chat with Karen and I hope that you enjoyed the episode too. If you do, I would be really grateful if you could leave a review in the iTunes store. It just helps to spread the message far and wide and get this podcast out to more women. So without further ado, let's get into this episode with Karen Turbo. Hi Karen, welcome to the Strong for Everyday podcast. I'm so excited to be talking to you today. Hey, for me, thanks so much for having me. This is really exciting. And yeah, can't wait to chop it up. Let's go. Yeah, fantastic. So let's jump straight into it. Tell us a little bit about yourself, a bit about your background, and what is it that you do now? Yeah, sure thing. So I have a degree in uh, journalism and I've also trained clinically to be a midwife. Um, So I have lots of experience in that as well. Um, I don't practice clinically. I actually work in global advocacy for maternal and neonatal health. Um, I do lots of advocacy on the, particularly in the the, uh, black and um, Asian minority ethnic sector. Um, Don't like the acronym. We're trying to do our best to get rid of that. So that's why I said the full word. Okay. So um, yeah, I I work in that space predominantly really naturally passionate about that but equally so passionate about youth advocacy um education and equitable healthcare for people both here in the uk with us and globally as well and i really feel like it's a basic right you know without sounding cliche i feel like we should all be able to access education and we should all be able to access healthcare. Um, and i've grown up with my grandparents god love them really fondly saying to me that education is the one thing that people can't take away from me so returning the favor and letting everybody 
everybody else know globally if you get it they can't take it you know so <laughs> that's where we're at yeah I love it I mean that sounds like a lot there so I think if we can unpack a little bit yeah what is it you do so you, you you train to be a midwife but that's not what you I mean it's it's obviously informed what you do now yeah, yeah. Um, so you said you do advocacy can you tell us a bit about what yeah. that is yeah, so advocacy in essence is about amplifying voices. It's about letting people know that there is someone in society who, for whatever reason, whether it be a lack of, of, of communication skills or a lack of understanding or a lack of connection by way of networking or, or you know, kind of human ability, um, it's our job as those in the advocacy field to be able to amplify as I said before their voices so carrying that message across and what we call quote unquote disseminating information so that people understand what it is that these people need you know and that can span across healthcare as I said it can span across education it can span across uh, water and basic sanitation and hygiene it can span across public health um, you know uh, rights to work everything really is about advocacy and if you look about look at it um, you know kind Kind of transparently advocacy is in our day-to-day -day. you know it's, it's even being as small as amplifying the voice of a colleague who can't quite speak up about an issue or you know a workload that's being an advocate mm, okay very interesting mm -hmm. so how does that then link with your training as a midwife so what's the role of a midwife and you know the, the wider team when it comes to advocacy how does that all yeah, sure thing so from a midwifery perspective then advocacy is all about understanding what the caregiver's role is and what the midwife is supposed to do but equally so it's about empowering the woman and her family to understand what their role in pregnancy is and i think it's quite ironic because the bulk of the work is done physically by the woman who's pregnant right mm. but equally so there is this if you'll kind of understand with me this analogy that carrying a baby kind of you know becomes like a colloquialism it's just a term that we use oh she's carrying a baby or I'm carrying a baby you know and actually you don't realize that in carrying that child you're carrying a load it's work you know so there is work to be done whilst you carry that child um, and I think a lot of women and families become very um, accustomed to um, you know the, the pregnancy process just kind of unfolding um, and they don't recognize sometimes that there is some work that can be done by them too i.e kind of being educated and understanding what pregnancy entails you know what the expectations are and what the toll is on the woman's body and what it is that she can do to support herself and her family to support her too as she navigates through that pregnancy as well so how would a pregnant woman even go about finding out about advocacy you know if like you say she has no she she has no idea what to ask for say in her midwife appointments or she just doesn't think that things are going the right way quote unquote. Mm -hmm. especially when you're a first time mom you don't know what's normal what's not normal mm. yeah so you know you kind of have um an understanding of this being a journey um, and at each turn there is going to be a change in your body you know so we always say from an advocacy perspective in midwifery for example in childbirth and pregnancy everything starts from the point of conception so that woman coming to understand that she has you know she is trying to have a baby or that she has successfully conceived you know is, a, is an opportunity for her to uh, begin to understand what that journey ahead is going to look like you know reading but not over reading because we know that too can be quite um, daunting 
you know, engaging with the right services from early on. So usually the pathway is that when you find out that you're pregnant, you would contact your GP um, for all the mummies that are listening and remember their journeys. That's usually what happens. And then you get a referral and they book you in and you begin your amazing journey and God willing, you see yourself all the way through and you get your, your bundle of joy at the end, you know, but as those steps kick in, you know, you'll have your birth notes and you get to have amazing encounters with your midwife and with the wider multidisciplinary team. So if you're considered high risk, you'll meet your consultant, um, you'll meet your specialist midwife, etc. And in between those appointments, those are the opportunities to really educate yourself and get into a place where you feel empowered enough to understand your care. So while the ask and the suggestion isn't that women should know uh, the ins and outs of each stage of pregnancy, there is a real beauty that um, us as communications professionals in the advocacy space generally would love for people in society to understand that this is very much a responsibility of us as individuals who are seeking healthcare and seeking the support of healthcare professionals but equally so yes that the caregiver is also responsible too so I see it as a duality you know it's a, it's a joint effort but there's so many beautiful things and it's so, so encouraging to be able to you know if you think about being a child back in the classroom there was something really exciting about pre-reading before you got into that lesson because you felt equipped you know you felt strong it's like hey I know the answer already before the teachers even touched on that and that's a little bit of what pregnancy is you know when some terms and, and things are being made um, or spoken about there's a real joy and there's a real peace and a real confidence that comes with sort of knowing already what it is that's going to be discussed in that appointment beautiful thing is here in the UK you get to retain your birth notes too so you can have a little nosy and see what's going on you know it's not paramount um, this is in no way me saying that every woman should be doing that, but I'm saying that there is a beauty in kind of taking on an additional, you know, kind of confidence and building that confidence throughout your birthing experience and throughout your birthing journey so that you really know what to expect as much as possible. Mm. Uh, it's, is that new about keeping your birth notes? Because either I've misplaced mine. <laughs> yeah, so you don't get to keep your birth notes after you've had your baby. Oh, I see. You'll take them. You can pay for them and they're available for up to 25 years after your child's been born in most trusts. So you have to pay for them. But during your pregnancy, you obviously have your notes, you carry them around. Yeah. But that's quite good to know that um, you can get them afterwards if you mm. pay, because I'm sure that would be very helpful for any woman who feels that her birth hasn't gone to plan mm. and potentially has suffered, you know, um, PTSD due to um, a traumatic birth and be able to have those notes and, you know, advocate for herself. Mm, mm, most definitely. I think, you know, while the, the, most of the time women do go back for their notes for that very reason, they want to understand, you know, they're slightly more quote unquote sober. They often say, oh, I'm, I've come around now and, you know, I'm, I'm not in the pain and in the hysterics that I was in during my childbirth. And I'd love to know how it actually happened and what the, you know, the process was and what the protocol was and what it was, you know, that I actually endured. So that's the reason why a lot of them go back to, to gather those notes or to request those notes um, but then you also have people who want it for sentimental purposes some of them go back and as an 18th birthday present or a 16th birthday present for their child they buy them their notes and and stuff like that and that's really cute that's quite cool as well so yeah it works both ways really some want to inform themselves and understand what it is that they've experienced but equally so some people want to you know kind of experience it all over again and then share it sentimentally so yeah, I think, I think, like you said, that's beautiful and mm -hmm. really nice to be able to look back because like you say, in that euphoria or, you know, with the adrenaline rush and everything you go through with labour, there's so many things you just don't remember. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, like mm -hmm. you say, when you're sober 
and, and, you're, and you're not in, in that, um, yeah, you're not sort of clouded by all the feelings and the hormones and tiredness to look mm-hmm. back on your notes and see mm-hmm. how things went. Mm-hmm. And I guess just going back on your point about advocacy as well, from a maternity perspective, um, it's very much more about what the framework and the policy around maternity looks like, you know, making sure that that woman and her family and the staff actually that are delivering midwifery care are really well equipped, that they understand evidence-based care. So that is what the majority of the UK healthcare framework is based on. It's about evidence-based care, things that have been tried and tested and we know are proven to work. Yeah. So when we're talking about advocacy, we're thinking about, okay, what is it that these women need, these families need, and what is in their best interest, you know, given all the physiological understanding and all the biological understanding and the advancement of technology and of medicine and and the changes in society as well, because those can also really inform progress and and stagnance in, in health, generally speaking, you know, what it is that people are able to access and the lack of. These are all the things that advocacy really heavily focuses on. So from a maternity perspective, in the ward, in your bed, in your birthing suite, when it comes to time to delivering your bundle of joy advocacy looks like a birthing partner a family member who is able to help communicate on your behalf or recall or help you understand remember we spoke about this this is what it was that you said you wanted or what does this look like if we were to choose this route or how further do you suggest that we we progress in this direction for before we choose this option that's what advocacy looks like in the birthing suite in the birthing room in the labor room Amazing. Thank you for that. I think that's really clear and really helpful to know that you want that, if that makes sense. Mm. You know, again, sometimes I think people don't or women might not realise that they will need that when they're going through labour because we've got it all in our heads. For nine months, we have all that time to think about. We've written yeah. our birth plan, you know, and we think that's when it comes to it, I know it exactly. But you don't know what labour's going to be like for you. Yeah. So it's, it is really helpful to have somebody there who, mm. who is who can advocate for you because they're not going through the pain and not going yeah. through the emotions that you're going through as the yeah. woman laboring. Yeah. And so what's then the, the global outlook on advocacy in relation to, you know, pregnancy and childbirth and, you know, is it different from what's being said here in the UK? Um, so I think that, you know, kind of globally, the communication is the same. You know, we are seeing some statistics that are pertaining to particularly at the moment or has been ongoing. This is not a new conversation that um, women who are from a black and brown background are five times more likely to pass away from um, childbirth and pregnancy related complications. So that's not a new narrative, you know, and equally so we're talking about um, mortality, but the conversation also needs to be around morbidity as well. Um, there are some amazing key stakeholders in the profession that really shine a light on that and make it very clear that morbidity is also very, very important to consider. Um, the outcomes are not solely tied to mortality. You know, great people like Mars Lord and Dr. Karen Joash, um, Dr. Adana Okeliam as well, also make really great mention of the fact that mor- morbidity is something that we should also be focusing on. So from a global advocacy perspective, then when it comes to childbirth and pregnancy, maternal health and neonatal health, the conversation is very much very much global by way of, of the span and the amplification exercise but the narrative is very much the same that in that every woman and every child should have access to equitable affordable 
if not free healthcare, you know, that it should be culturally sensitive. I think that is something that we really should be honing in on here in the UK, that the language in which we use should be in layman's terms, not by way of cond being condescending, but to let these women really feel that empowerment element that's lacking so that they understand that when they are in care or they're being cared for, they are really speaking to somebody who understands where they're at at that present moment in time. You know, for those of you that are listening that are mums or are hoping to be mums, you'll understand that um, it's a really vulnerable time, you know, and you're meeting someone for the first time in essence as well. Sometimes on that day when you're delivering your child, you've never seen this person before. It's really intimate. It's a very, you know, somewhat spiritual experience. Um, and you want to be able to have someone who really, truly down to earth understands what it is that you're about to go through, not just because they've learned about it, but because they understand what it is that this journey ahead looks like. And that's the narrative globally that we're trying trying to push and that we're trying to understand is that women yes have made a choice to to have a child and to progress with their pregnancy but likewise the caregivers have also made a choice to commit to this profession which is actually a calling you know you do it from your heart and it's something that you love um, if you're in midwifery or anything for the money then actually you're having a bubble mate it's not quite about the coin <laughs> it's not about the cash it's about understanding that you want to make impact and be the first thing that a child or a mother or a family see you know during one of the happy and sometimes yes the saddest parts of their life um, but equally so that advocacy global communication and that amplification exercise is to make sure that it is equitable that it is safe that it's hygienic and it's clean and that it brings about optimal living so that there are optimal outcomes that we are having as many people surviving because they should and they can as opposed to them not because of the things that we could potentially really get a, a better hold of yeah i mean there's a lot to unpack there and i think if, if we can just stay on topic with you know the statistic of mm. black and brown women being five times more likely to die during pregnancy and childbirth what's being done about that and i know that's a very loaded question but how can that statistic be improved i know there's a lot of work going on there's a lot of chat going on now because of the black lives matter movement mm -hmm. and thankfully um that is now shining a light on this a lot more to non-black women and, and and people that this is actually what's happening to to us and to women of color so you know how can that be improved and you know again you might not have all the answers but in your role of advocacy and the work that you do what's what are sort of the steps that you are taking to try and improve that statistic? Yeah, so I think there are a number of things. I mean, to start with, it's definitely about the first points that I made earlier on about really ensuring that we too take on the responsibility that carrying a child looks like. You know, the load is carried physically by the woman, um, you know, but she has family and friends and an extended network. In many cases, sometimes I understand that this is a solo journey for some women, okay? So we're, we're particularly looking in the direction of feeling empowered enough to ask questions to to re-ask questions sometimes you know to, to want to have that clarity it's okay to do that and it's very important to do your due diligence as you would with any other major transition in your life you want to make sure that the stakes that are already high are well understood okay secondly i think there's a massive massive thing that we could be doing and should be doing around cultural sensitivity at the moment across the nhs you know they do a fantastic job of hiring translators when men or women or families across the entire healthcare space do not understand what it is that they are engaging in or what is being offered to them or in turn what their fates might be 
Um, but I think equally so it goes beyond a translator and it goes beyond having a pamphlet or a leaflet that is in multiple languages. We've got to have some sort of cultural sensitivity training, which I know is underway by way of another, uh, uh, by way of a number of medical bodies across the UK. Okay, so that's being rolled out in an essence when that does happen. I'm really hopeful that that will make a greater impact. I know that the RCOG, which is the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, are doing a fantastic job with a cultural task force. Um, Dr. Christina Ketchy is doing an amazing job of being a part of that. And I know that, God willing, there's going to be some great impact that comes off of that as well. Um, you know, and there are other opportunities, again, for us as individuals across the board irrespective of our creed or our color to do the due work to do the heart work because that's the hardest work yeah so if you're not sure what it is that somebody experiences from a cultural perspective ask you know we have colleagues we are you know ethnically plethorous if you get what i mean there's so many different ethnicities in the workforce and that's across every profession and I'm pretty sure that now more than ever before is the best time to ask questions with very limited offense you pose yourself in a way that is both professional but equally so really human and sensitive and get the answers that you need so that you can go on to inform what it is that you may have thought you've known previously so that you can impact what it is that you don't actually know for the future I think that's really really key and then again just to the point of the families and the women and from a wider public health perspective, those who are receiving any element of care, ensuring that you really truly understand what the implications are for you based on your ethnicity in terms of some of the um, pre-existing medi um, medical conditions that you could be exposed to. That's also very important. Okay, we've got to make sure that we take charge of what is happening to our bodies or what we are potentially, uh, potentially more likely to be susceptible to as black and brown Asian minority ethnic individuals. So whether that is heart disease or high cholesterol or diabetes, whether it's a high blood pressure in pregnancy, whether it's preeclampsia, you know, we could be more um, Acceptable to a number of conditions and predispositions, but we've got to ensure that we are aware of this both preconceptively before we fall pregnant, during our pregnancy, so that we are keeping on top of things, and then of course keeping ourselves educated afterwards for when we're ready for our, our next babies too. Yeah, I think that's so important. You know, these points that you make—they're excellent points, and I think they are the truth in, in the sense that we actually have to own up to these things ourselves. So. Yes, as much as we want to expect our medical um, professionals that are looking after us to give us that information, we ourselves can also do a lot of reading before we get pregnant and throughout, throughout our pregnancy to make sure that we are staying on top of all the information. And like you say, there are predispositions that um, Black and Asian women will have that our white counterparts won't ha have. Mm -hmm. So we need to do that extra work that actually when we go to say antenatal classes whether they are nhs or private that they might not touch on these things so we have to go above and beyond to find that information out for ourselves and yeah. like you say if we are worried about anything what are the symptoms you know find those out and if you are unsure call your triage or speak mm -hmm. to your community mm -hmm. midwife and and like you say advocate for yourself but also have your partner or whoever is going to be with you during the birth, make sure that they are also kept informed of all these things so that when it comes to you not being able to speak for yourself, they can advocate on your behalf. Most definitely. And I think even when you do and are able to speak for yourself, there should always be somebody that is there ready to amplify what it is that you are requesting 
and what it is that you are interested in having and exploring. In terms of symptoms and making sure you're keeping on top of those, that is what your GP is there for. That is what your, your medical professional is there for. It's not about getting yourself abreast to uh, what symptoms are and, and kind of doing that research for yourself. The important thing is that you always adhere to what your medical guidelines are for the trust that you are attached to. If you are a pregnant woman and you are told by your midwife that in this instance, this instance, and this instance, get in touch triage is always open this a and e is always open then you've got to do that if you've got an inkling in you and you know that something doesn't feel right it's not about waiting to allow for things to pass or to change or to check there is no such thing as a silly question um, and there's definitely no such thing as a silly answer so you've got to always follow your gut and go with what that is as early as possible because early discussion equals earlier diagnosis and that's when support and advice and you know help is always going to be available to you I think the last point to really make there is that we've really touched on the importance of advocacy from the um, family and from the the birth partner and from the woman um, but equally so from the staff you know advocacy really does look like transparent conversation it really looks like empathetic discussion it looks like wanting to truly understand the cultural differences between yourself and the person that you are offering care to and equally so from an education point of view it's about providing collateral and information and resources that look like the women who are truly out in the marketplace if we're being totally honest it's not enough to present textbooks and imagery that only pertain to one particular ethnic group because what you find is what might look like a Mongolian blue spot for example on a white or Caucasian child might not look like that on a black or Asian child and so that gets missed or can be misdiagnosed or reported as actually being a safeguarding issue because it might look like bruising you know but what you've not done is been exposed to those differences ethnically um, whilst you are studying and sometimes through no fault of you know the educators and the lecturers if the resources are not available then then you can't make them up you know if you've not been predisposed to a patient who has these disparities or have these conditions or these markings on the body for you to be able to have images to then be able to show students then that can't be held but what we do need to do is get better at recognizing in a practical clinical setting that this is now available or I've just spotted this case and it's really unique and with the, the consent of the parents and of the family of the individual, this will really go on to inform uh, education and inform staff and faculty so that the next time something like this comes around, we can pick this up. That's really huge and I think it lends itself to cultural sensitivity and that is what we need to be focusing on. And what would you say, you know, in terms of how can we actually encourage better you know maternal and neonatal outcomes overall mm, yeah so i think it leads back to our point about um you know like the duality in terms of educating ourselves uh, midwives and medical professionals do their due diligence they go to university they study they obtain their degree you know they acquire their pin they put in those hard shifts you've seen them all working throughout this pandemic period they've done amazing jobs you know and they've done their due diligence to ensure that they can offer you optimal care and do the safest job you know like in any profession sadly to say not everybody does it with their heart and some people may not necessarily enjoy all the way what they do however the vast majority 
do. They are doing a smashing job. I had some phenomenal mentors when I was training to become a midwife and I will never forget them because they embodied and really encapsulated passion personified. They were showing up every day. Abby Loyer, shout out to her because she's an amazing midwife. She's an amazing mentor. Um, and if she's li listening, yeah, she definitely impacted my life 100%. You know, she um, and many other midwives are so empathetic and so genuine about what it is that they do. And I think that that really, really helps make a difference. That really helps make a difference because the woman can automatically see that you are invested in the care that she's about to receive ongoingly. Um, we talk a lot about continuity of care and just because of the way in which the number of staffing is at the moment, you know, there is a shortage of, of midwives. So continuity of care, as much of a lovely concept as it is, is not always humanly possible. Um, but in an ideal world, that is what midwives would long for. They'd love to be able to see a woman from the start right through to the finish and catch that gorgeous baby and welcome them into the world. But very often, you know, it's, it's very unlikely because, because they're having to commit to so many other areas of, of the pregnancy journey overall. So, yeah. What does it look like in this current climate? So obviously we're talking still in the middle of uh, COVID-19 in terms of advocacy. And of course, we know that the rights that pregnant women have right now are not the same as what they would be, you know, mm. not where we're not going through this pandemic. So how does advocacy tie in with that then? That's a really good question. So I know that on the ground, you know, the number of birthing partners typically would be two. And at the moment, because of social distancing and just minimizing infection overall, it's now only one um, that, that women are allowed. And in some places they aren't allowed birthing partners at all. Now there's lots of amazing petitions going on. And of course, everyone has a right to exercise their, their voice and their preference. So I understand why women are in essence advocating for there to be, you know, one, two, to two birthing partners. Um, you know, everything is about safety and there is nobody out here who wants to deprive anyone of the optimal birthing experience. But at the end of the day, we also want you to make it through that experience safely. Um, and that's why from an advocacy perspective, I can say that we are encouraging for women to understand shielding being really important as pregnant women, because immediately um, you are at higher risk because you are, uh, you know, you and one other, sometimes multips, if you're having more than one baby, lucky ladies, um, you know, that is something that you also need to be really mindful of as well. Advocacy wise right now from a COVID-19 perspective, the message is very much perpetually the same as it is from a general healthcare perspective, which is hygiene, hygiene, hygiene. It's really important globally and locally that everybody has access to free running water, that we are washing our hands for the optimal time as advised 20 seconds and up, that we're drying our hands thoroughly, that we're making sure that we're adhering to guidance, you know, making sure that we're not meeting in groups of six or more, um, that we are wearing face masks, you know, that we're sanitizing properly and that we're shielding away from people that we know also to be more susceptible to this COVID-19. You know, the people that are really important and the people who are really in danger more so than others are those who have the underlying health conditions. And so, you know, my message would definitely be outside of pregnancy and maternity and general health in, 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 in you know, in general, that if you've never taken your health seriously beforehand or you seem to think that it's okay to be naughty and not take medication, um, you know, and you've got um, underlying health conditions that you've ignored in the past, now is the time to really do yourself a solid and ensure that you are really adhering to these guidelines, okay? 
making sure that you are keeping yourself safe because all of our chatty patty stuff we're doing from an advocacy perspective is for you so that you can be nice and safe that you can have a nice long you know positive life um, and that everybody else around you can do their part so that your life can be a little bit longer too Mm, okay no thank you for that and then you know what would you say are your you know top three tips for women and their families regarding you know how they can be more involved or more proactive actually when it comes to advocating for equity in public health and for their overall well-being Mm, so I think it's definitely again it leads back to our point about making sure that we're well versed Mm. making sure that we understand our bodies you know understand your body don't ignore things like smear tests don't ignore you know your routine checks etc i know things are slightly different at the moment because of covid we're having to push a lot of appointments back appointments that are, are considered low risk are you know not being um continued at the moment um, and they will slowly be rolled out soon um, but the important thing to do is to understand your health to really become at one and uh, you know accustomed to what your your body is like and what your day-to-day is like pre-pregnancy and then so that you can understand it from a pregnancy um, perspective as well so that's really important second thing to understand is to understand the care pathway understand the pregnancy journey according to the hospital or the trust that you are choosing to assign yourself to and then begin to think about what pregnancy looks like as a whole Yeah. So really get to grips with, okay, this is what pregnancy looks like at this particular gestation. These are the scans and the appointments that I will be looking to to attend, you know, God willing, my, my pregnancy being optimal and everything being low risk. And this is what my care pathway will look like. And equally so if I develop um, any complications or any conditions, then this is what my pathway will look like. Also, I always say it's really good to keep a notepad. Any questions that come up in the middle of the night that you think, oh, actually, I don't know if I asked that or, you know, how come I go to every appointment and my urine's checked or, you know, oh, I've got my blood pressure checked. And, you know, I wonder what the normal ranges are and things like that. They just kind of help you feel empowered, you know, letting the midwife and the professional still do their job and you still trusting them. But equally so, if there's anything that helps you to feel like you truly understand and you want to understand um no one's a monster and i'm pretty sure that they are in a position to want to answer your questions you know um yeah just just feel equipped feel empowered to ask and then from a childbirth perspective um advocacy then taking that turn in understanding what that section of your pregnancy looks like okay pain relief okay do i want to birth um you know Um, in a birthing pool do I want to be in a birthing suite if I'm low risk okay these are the key key things to remember low risk equals more choice in most instances if you're higher risk then of course you really do have to follow the guidance of your medical team and what it is that they're suggesting to you is really what's optimal for you in that given moment of time okay nobody wants to deprive anybody of their dream birthing experience but equally so there are some risk factors that can kick in that make it more important for you to really go as led Um, and as guided and that's really important to recognize that the the desire and the hope of of healthcare professionals is to work with you and not against you yeah um and yeah at any turn where you recognize or you feel like anything is different or anything's changed um that's where advocacy kicks in on on the ground level you know between you and your family or your birth partner it's about respectfully communicating what your desires are and trusting that that's either been heard or that that has been uh repositioned well and that the rationale 
behind the suggestion from the healthcare professional that perhaps is different to what it is that you asked for is the best decision for you at that time. That's the important thing to recognize. You have a choice, you get to exercise that choice, you get to voice that opinion, but do it in such a way where you are expressing what it is that your want is, but that if that comes back and there is a difference in what you're asking for, you're trusting that that is the best decision and outcome for you at that time. So then that leads us nicely to our final question. I think you know, right. this has been really informative. Um, and I would probably say if you are pregnant or if you are, um, so especially first time pregnancy, well, also actually any pregnancy, mm. probably take notes here because a lot of this stuff is probably new information. You know, certainly a lot of it was um, new information for me. And I think, it is really important that we, I don't want to say over-educate ourselves. No. But you want to get the right level of education for you, for like you say, your gestation or where you are in your journey. So preconception, pregnancy, close to giving birth, um, so that you can really know what to ask for at what point. Would you say that's yeah. right? Yeah, I think the important thing is to rest in what it is that your healthcare professional is advising you on. Okay, they are the professional for a reason. They understand the changes, they understand the physiology, they understand the biology. Okay, that is the most important takeaway of this conversation. The beautiful thing and the optimal thing and the advisory thing to do is that you are transitioning in a journey that, you know, for most women is joyous, you know, and there is something really beautiful about understanding the unfolding. That's the priority here. You know, yes, the majority of your care and yes, the care pathway is being defined by the healthcare professional, but equally so there is something really beautiful and something very mature um, and something very maternal actually about just wanting to understand what that unfolding looks like. It's okay to go into an appointment and ask your midwife, Oh, so what was this reading today? Or, Oh, how do you think this is? Or what would you advise here? And, you know, naturally you have those sort of conversations. We have those conversations on a global advocacy level. You know, when we speak with people like Every Woman, Every Child, great organisations globally who are looking at the breakdown of the journey for both the healthcare giver and the healthcare user. These are some of the dynamics. These are some of the conversations that they're looking at. So the important takeaway is that the role of your pregnancy being facilitated is very much in the hands of the healthcare professional. However, there is a great opportunity here to educate and to understand once you have been given that care, what that care entails. Okay, so it's not enough to just present and to depend on what you've been told. Yes, find rest in that. But there's also a beauty in understanding it for yourself so that you feel empowered, so that you feel a part of the journey and so you feel present as well. That's really, really beautiful. And it's, I think it's really key. Mm, thank you thank you for that um and now actually ask me the last question <laughs> and that's one question i ask everyone and that is what does being strong for every day mean to you oh what does that mean it means it's for me it's constantly becoming it's being always always literally like however i present on that day is is how i am on that day that's me being strong every single day it's being my authentic self my true self my most consistent self my most dedicated self and making sure that i am showing up you know every opportunity that i get um i like to think of myself as being quite vivacious and a bit colorful 
and you know I think that those are the things those are the makings of me you know and I own them and I and I wear them and I, I rock them um so for me that's what being strong every day is it's being absolutely unequivocally yourself and making sure that before anybody else is comfortable with it you are mm, love that thank you so much Karen and if people wanted to get in touch with you where would the best place be to do that so I do not offer any medical advice because we don't do that. Um, but you can follow me on Instagram at Karen Grace, K-A-R-E-N-G-R-A-C-E underscore underscore. I'm on the gram. So yes, you can follow me there. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Karen. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I'm yeah, sure everybody great. else listening will too. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode of the Strong for Everyday podcast. I really hope that you did find it useful. And if you did, then please don't forget to leave us a review in the iTunes store and subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. I would also love to hear your key takeaways from this episode. So please don't forget to share a screenshot on your social media and tag myself at Femi underscore Olatoye and at Strong for Everyday. Don't forget that Karen's conference is happening on Saturday, 7th of November, a conference highlighting the maternity issues facing the BAME communities. So for more information and to get tickets for this event, please visit baymaternity.com. And I would love to hear if you attended the conference um, because I know that it will be a very powerful one. So thank you once again for tuning in today and I hope you have a lovely week ahead. See you in the next episode.